I began suffering from severe, severe anxiety, very dark and deep depression, so much so that I started suffering from suicidal ideations. There were days where I was like, I don't understand my purpose on this earth anymore. Um, if this is happening in my life, what is the point of me being here? Point blank period. Yeah. And though those thoughts scared me, I also could recognize people who commit that ultimate opt-out act, right? I understand the rest that they think is on the other side of mm. that. Black women are tired. In a world that constantly demands more from Black women, I am giving Black women permission to join me in actively opting out of societal expectations that are weighing us down. The Black Women Opt Out is more than just a podcast. It's a movement towards owning our freedom, reclaiming our time, and opting in to softer expectations for ourselves. Join me, Deandra Coleman, on this transformative journey as I explore insightful conversations, practical strategies, and inspiring stories that resonate with your soul. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this special episode of the Black Woman Opt Out podcast. I am your host, Deandra Coleman, but today we are turning the tables a bit, and I have my very good friend and interviewer extraordinaire, on-air radio host, Kiana Faircloth, with me today to actually interview me. So I am going to turn the reins over to you, Kiana, and we're going to dive into a little bit of my opt-out story. Absolutely. Hi, Deandra. <laughs> so happy to, you know, interview my friend who's, gosh, just as you've learned through the first season of the Black Woman Opt Out is just an extraordinary woman. And so we wanted to do this so that she can give her backstory on the why behind the Black Woman Opt Out. So let me start off by introducing Ms. DeAndra Coleman with a profound dedication to nurturing equity and inclusion for Black women. Deandra Coleman specializes in lifestyle transformation designed exclusively for Black women who are feeling fatigued, disheartened, and yearning for profound change. A trailblazer in cultured life branding and a catalyst for transformative shifts, she ardently champions the notion of Black women carving out spaces for ease and simplifying life, emphasizing the importance of being over constantly doing. Her mission is to usher in an era where Black women can confidently assert their right to say no, opt out of expectations, and authentically live out their desires. A visionary who has transitioned from a former C-suite corporate executive to the present-day CEO of the award-winning Beyond the C-suite, Deandra Coleman possesses an intimate understanding of the unique hurdles senior-level Black executive women face. Deandra's mastery and accolades have translated into impactful collaborations, including partnerships with esteemed entities like Lockheed Martin, Howard University, and the Small Business Administration. Her expertise has garnered her acclaim as an award-winning entrepreneur, earning titles such as a top VIP professional, a leading woman in Maryland, 
and one of the world's innovative business leaders making a difference in 2023 by World's Leaders Magazine. She has secured visibility in reputable media outlets, including Oprah Daily, ABC7 News, Forbes Women, The Washington Business Journal, HGTV, The Washington Post, The Afro Newspaper, The Washington Informer, and The Karen Hunter Show, among others. Her journey from a single mother on welfare to her current professional achievements ignites her fervor for guiding others in realizing their dreams and crafting enduring legacies. Armed with a master's in business administration, a degree in interpersonal communication, a certification in marketing from the Wharton School, and a certification in women's entrepreneurship from Cornell School of Management, Coleman leverages her expertise to uplift women with a special emphasis on women of color, reclaiming their time and cultivating enduring influence. Her focus on creating expansive spaces for Black women to embrace their authentic selves and live out their desires underscores her commitment to a more inclusive and empowering world. Wow. <laughs> That's my friend, y'all. <laughs> that is my friend right there. My God, do you ever sleep? <laughs> very well, thank you. I am very adamant about my eight hours. <laughs> well, um, that's why, you know, it's so important that we talk about this because a lot of folks would think that you wouldn't be able to get that eight hours with all of your accomplishments, all of the things that you have achieved. It's really incredible that you are taking the time that you need in order to literally opt out. So let's get started. Hmm. I'd love to get sort of your backstory and explain to us exactly what the Black Woman Opt-Out is. Yeah. So first of all, thank you for the the beautiful introduction. Um, you know, when you hear those things about yourself, it's often like, oh man, I forgot about that. Or, you know, I can't, oh yeah, right? Like we often don't give ourselves credit where credit is due. Mm. Um, and so hearing those things, it's really well and good. But to your question about sleeping and all of that good stuff, I will say that now I prioritize my eight hours of sleep. It has not always been that way. Um, and so the last thing that I ever want to do is to have other Black women out there thinking that this is just something that comes naturally, because it's not. Our, our natural inclination is to do all the things to be better than twice as good, right? And go above and beyond and, and garner all of those accolades um, to the detriment of our health. And so now being kind of on the other side of that, um, I want to make it very clear that uh, I did not always prioritize my self and my well-being. And so the Black woman opt-out started from a very conscious decision. Um, it was a conscious decision, but it was something that I was kind of forced into at the same time to really grant myself the space and opportunity to just be and feel all of the things that I was feeling and go through all of the things that I was going through. So last year, I had a pretty traumatic, not even last year, oh my goodness, it was the year at the end of the year before last now, mm -hmm. pretty traumatic 
incident happen in my life. Um, prior to that, a month prior to that traumatic incident, I had broken up with the man who I thought I was going to be spending the rest of my life with, but as life has it, right? You're not in alignment anymore and things, things happen and you have to separate from each other. So I was dealing with that breakup and then this pretty traumatic life event happened. Um, and so I spent the next couple of months in a really dark, dark place, um, in a place where I had never been before, and it scared me. Um, I'm talking some days I would just be laid out on the floor because I couldn't handle the pressures of what was happening in my life. Um, I would remove myself from social situations um, and nobody would really know what was happening, right? It was just an, oh, I can't make it tonight or, oh, I'm not going to do that. And I would spend those hours in bed. Um, you know, I began suffering from severe, severe anxiety, very dark and deep depression, um, so much so that I started suffering from suicidal ideations. There were days where I was like, I don't understand my purpose on this earth anymore. Um, if this is happening in my life, what is the point of me being here? Point blank period. Mm -hmm. And though those thoughts scared me, I also could recognize people who commit that ultimate opt-out act, right? I understand the rest that they think is on the other side of mm. that. I could start, like I was starting to understand because of the turmoil that was going on in my life, I was starting to understand how that thought process could happen. And you can be like, yo, I just, I'm so tired. Like not like, it's not the tired that sleep can cure. It's like that mm. soul tired, that bone deep tired that you're kind of like, I don't know if this is ever going to be fixed. Um, and so I spent many months there last year in that dark depression, in that high functioning state of, of anxiety, where on the inside, I was falling apart, right? Like I wasn't the D who made it through, you know, being on welfare as a single mom. I wasn't the D who kept trudging through the dirt and the muck to, to start my own business, to get my MBA as a full-time single mom, right? Like, that wasn't the D that this was anymore. Um, and I didn't know how to come back from that. But what I did know somewhere deep down was that if I committed the ultimate opt-out, that I was going to be leaving behind people who truly needed me and loved me and cared about me. Um, and I knew that I couldn't, I couldn't do that because I would probably make that traumatic situation that was happening in my life a million times worse, right? And so I had to figure out a way to start opting out of the pressures of life so that I did not want to kill myself. Mm -hmm. I mean, period. Um, 
And I started doing a lot of self-reflecting on all of the things and expectations that other people were putting on me, right? So I was one bucket, but also the expectations that I was putting on myself mm. to this perfect human being, right? To be the perfect daughter, the perfect mom, the perfect business owner, the perfect, you know, whatever it was, and to keep up these appearances, mm -hmm. right? Because like I said, on the outside, nobody knew that I was going through what I was going through. Right. I, I looked good. I smelled good. I kept my hair together. I kept my nails done, right? Like all of the things on the external looked the same. But inside, I was dying. I was, I was, I was leading and, and moving towards a very slow death. And so the, the Black woman opt-out really began because this Black woman needed to opt out of all of the things that were no longer serving me, all of the expectations, self-imposed or society, right? Like, all of those things that were contributing to this high functioning depression, this high functioning anxiety, and this cycle um, that seemed to, to never end for me. Yeah. How did you find the courage to turn all that pain into this purpose that you have now? I'm just wondering, what was the thing that shifted you from having those suicidal ideations to being able to, you know, really channel it into something that's so impactful. It's really a movement. Um, quite honestly, it was fear. Hmm. So I knew, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get emotional, but I knew that if I was feeling like this, that there are other Black women who feel like this on a daily basis. And this is some heavy shit. Like this was heavy. And it was fear that however small of, a, of an impact I could make, I could not allow my suffering to not help somebody else's. I think in, in my life, that's the one thing that I've been able to thread through all of the circumstances that I've been through is that I am not the only one. Although when we're in the depths of it, it often feels like we are the only one. Yeah. I think as Black women, especially, we don't want to show the weakness. Mm -hmm. We don't want to show, or sometimes we can't afford to, right? Like, mm -hmm. Being in corporate America, and I have now extricated myself from that, right? But being in that world, we can't afford to show our weaknesses because then we're labeled, right? As the angry, angry Black, the emotional Black woman, the one who can't handle the pressure and do all of the things. Um, and so we don't allow ourselves the grace oftentimes to feel all the things and be just who we are at the end of the day. And so it, me wanting to help other Black women shed light on their opt-out journey was really done out of fear, mm -hmm. right? So, so I, want to, I want to share with you the, the suicide rates for Black women ages 25 through 44 have increased by 72%. Wow. Over past two decades. 
72% for black women. Boston University School of Medicine did a study last year in 2023. Black women, listen to this, in the highest income strata had a 20% increase in suicide or self-harm compared to white women in the lowest socioeconomic strata. Wow. That means that we are high achieving. We are making strides. We are doing all of the things required to pull ourselves up from our bootstraps, right? We are the most educated demographic in the United States. We start businesses at a rate way higher than any other demographic, partly because we have to sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. But partly because that's just what we wanna do and we're ambitious. So those women who are in that 20% are in the highest economic or income strata. It gets no higher than the money that they're pulling in. Right. And that's 20% over white women who are in the lowest, right? White women who are on, on, on welfare, who are, you know, they're, they're, they're just down and out and down on their luck. They are not committing suicide as much or as frequently as Black women who are high achieving. That says so much. That says so much about our society that, you know, women in those economic categories, there, it's almost as if they feel like there's more, more hope than we do, you know? <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's exactly the feeling. They feel that there is a way out of their circumstance, that there's a way out. So so what does that tell us? That tells us that no matter how much money we are making, and and we need that money because you know I'm a a proponent of pay us, pay us what we're worth, right? So we need that money, yes, because money like that gives us options, right? Um, not only for us, but our children, our community. And that's a whole different podcast that I can go off on, right? But what that says is that no matter how much money we are making, there is always something that we feel we don't have the option to get out of. Mm. Can't make it go away. Money won't make this better. And that's a problem for me. Yeah. And when we think about, you know, as you mentioned, these high achieving black women, like a literal beauty queen, yeah. you know, committing suicide. Wow. It's like, how does that happen? And, and, and like you said, we keep up these appearances and no one would ever know it. You know what her mother said, because I've, I've researched this, right? So, so Chesley Christ, her mother, after the, the situation happened, said that she was doing all of the things. She was going to therapy. She was sleeping well at night, right? Like how many of us sleep well at night? Even though stuff is happening, that might not be our thing that, that, that keeps us up at night, right? So she was sleeping well at night, um, but she was hiding her high functioning depression because she was high functioning. Nobody would think it. Nobody would look at her and say, this woman is depressed because it does not look like what you think it looks like. It looks like me, everybody. And you may not be able to see me right now because we're this is a podcast, but mm-hmm. high functioning depression looks like me. Yeah. You 
know, and I thank God that number one, he kept me. I thank God that I have family and friends who sometimes, even though they didn't know they were supporting me, were supporting me. I thank God that I recognize this in myself and I was not above getting help, right? So, so therapy um, helped a lot in me learning how to reframe things that I thought should be happening into just what it is, right? So I'm a huge proponent of therapy. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that the other saving grace for me was me opting out. And that was a series of steps that I took um, to consciously say, Dee, this ain't gonna work, baby. Like this ain't gonna work for you anymore. Yeah, let's get into that. What were those particular steps that you took to cultivate your own opt-out? Yeah. Um, so first, I think it started with self-acceptance. I think for a very long time, I was like, this can't be me, right? Like, this can't happen to me. We all think those things sometimes, right? Like, oh, that's for other people. <laughs> High-functioning depression or laying out on the floor because you don't know how to get up because there's so much pressure on you right now. That's for other people until you find it's actually you, babe. Like, yeah. you know, right? We're here. So, we're here. We are here. And so I think that there was a huge level of acceptance, self-acceptance. Like, Deandra, this is where you are right now. It's not going to define you, but this is where you are right now, right? So accept it. And then it's a, okay, great. Now, what are you going to do about it? So one of the things that I know I, for me, I've always been a very, um, I internalize things, right? I don't blame other people. I always say, what do you need to do, Deandra, in order to figure this out? Or what did you do to contribute to being in this situation? Um, so that was the first step. It was, it was really self-acceptance. And, and there were several things that my therapist helped me you know, through in order to get there. Um, but I was like, all right, finally, I was like, okay, I'm here, right? The second step for me was putting into practice, like overcoming my anxiety um, and my depression, right? So what do those things look like? How do I treat myself with more kindness? How do I stop the level of perfectionist that I've always been? in my life and just be like, fuck it, I don't really care, right? right? Because all of those things are what's going to contribute to your anxiety and your depression. And it's this cycle that keeps happening over and over and over. Yeah. Um, and so I, mm, most people who know me know that I am a person who very rarely cares what other people think. Mm -hmm. Right. Like it's more about me and what I think and, and how I don't operate in mediocrity. It's very rarely about what, you know, Susie down the street thinks about what I'm doing. I don't really care. Right. It, it, so it really had to do with the guilt that I felt for this traumatic situation that happened. Um, and then I went down this rabbit hole, right, of what I could have done differently instead of being in the now and the present, which leads me to the third thing that I did, which is mindfulness, right? Mm -hmm. Mindfulness is really being in the here and now 
It's not living in the past. Sometimes you have to look back to fix and tweak and all of that to know what you should do differently in the future. So I'm not saying that, but it's not living in the past and operating in the past because coulda, woulda, shoulda ain't going to do anything for you right now. Right? Mm -hmm. Like you can't change it. Um, And so the mindfulness, so daily practices of meditation, daily practices of visualization, daily practices of, of prayer. Um, I I did a surrender fast, Mm -hmm. um, which was a 40 day surrender fast. If you, if you ever, it's a book on, on Amazon um, and you can surrender anything. It can be food. It can be social media. For me, I had to surrender control. Mm. So I did 40 days of actively surrendering control because that is what kept the cycle of high anxiety happening, right? This, this need to control everything in my life. And so releasing that control and saying like, all right, God's got it. Yana, the amount of pressure that took, I cannot explain the amount of pressure that took off of my shoulders. Wow. Because at the end of that 40 day fast, I was like, God, don't ask me, ask God, right? Like I got nothing to do with that. That's right. what I would, I would say, like, I don't know. And I talked to myself that way. DeAndra, it's not up to you. That's up to God and the universe and whatever else. So stop worrying about it. Right. Believe and release so much pressure off of me because the decision at the end of the day was not up to me. Right. So, so that, so so self-acceptance, overcoming the anxiety and depression, mindfulness. And then it turned into, once I got those under control, figuring out how to find moments of joy every day. I wasn't happy, right? Like it wasn't consistent happiness all day, every day. But I think I had to reprogram my brain to, to make it okay to feel happiness, to feel joy, even in the midst mm-hmm. of what was happening in my life. Because this was still going on. This yeah. wasn't a hard and done situation, right? This was ongoing and to this day is still ongoing. To this very day, as I speak in this microphone today, it is still happening. Wow. But I'm able to cope better because of these things that I did. Right. So finding moments of joy in every day, whether it's playing with my crazy ass dog, mm-hmm. taking him on a walk, right? Whether it's appreciating the sunrise, um, finding something to be joyful about and grateful for each and every day. And then lastly, there's one more. I had to find new passion and purpose. Because mm-hmm. if you remember in the beginning, I was like, I don't understand what my purpose is on this earth anymore. This thing happened and everything I thought I was blew up on me. Everything I thought I was and was going to be in the future completely annihilated. And so I had to spend time with myself and really figuring out what my passions and purpose moving forward would be. And I realized that one of my passion projects is what is now the Black Women Opt Out podcast. Wow. You know, I want to go back to joy because there's a saying that says Black joy is an act of resistance. Mm. 
because there are so many factors that are working against our joy societally on a daily basis that say and make us feel as if we're not worthy of joy. So I'd like to ask you, like, how were you able to push past? Because you said, you know, the traumatic experiences is ongoing, it's continual. How have you been able to fight against that and and actively say, I'm going to find joy? Because a lot of folks would feel guilt in that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the first thing I'll say is that some days I do still feel the guilt. Not even some days, most days. Right. So so there are cycles within the day where I'm fine and I can I can laugh. I can go out. I can have a good time. But then let one thing happen and I'm down the rabbit hole of the guilt. Right. So it's that's why I'm saying it's not all day, every day that I'm happy. I can pull it together now better than I was able to when I was laying out on the floor. Right. I can pull it together now to say, DeAndre, you still have to live, right? Like, because I made a conscious choice to live, right? Right, like you still have to function, you still have to live, you still deserve happiness, even though these things are happening in your life. Um, But I still feel guilt daily um, about having these moments of happiness and joy because of the absence of other things. So I wanna be very clear in that it is not um, like they are, they are, it is not one or the other, it is both, right? At the same time, very often. And I think that that's one of the things that especially us as black women feel like it has to be mutually exclusive. No, 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 life is not mutually exclusive, right? We can't silo and, and quarantine certain parts of our life because like every day, all day, we still have to, we still have to deal with it. Right. So, you know, joy, you know, is an act of resistance for, for black people, black women. Um, and I, and I see how that phrase, it makes sense, right? Because there are so many things working against our joy oftentimes, but I will say sometimes we're our own worst enemy in that. Mm. We are right? Because we get to decide how to respond to certain things, right? The black woman opt out is my act of resistance. Fuck you. I'm going to be happy regardless. Yes. I'm going to do what I want to do regardless of what society is telling me, what, you know, my boss is telling me any of that. Um, and, and, and so we get in our own way sometimes because we're afraid to say no to people. And to enact healthy boundaries and to put ourselves first. And that is what this movement is for me, right? Like this, this is my passion now. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is what, you know, if I had to go through all of that to be here to help other women get through this, then fine. So be it. I'm the sacrificial lamb. I accept my faith, right? But that is what this podcast really and truly is about. So we've had guests who've talked about, you know, opting out of their 25-year marriage or opting mm-hmm. out of consciously being a mother or opting out of, of friendships that no longer serve them. Great. I am all for it. Do whatever it is 
that you have to do for your survival and for your joy because nobody else is going to benefit if you are not taking care of yourself first. That's absolutely right. It is. And I'm sure a lot of that, you know, being able to have the courage to find joy comes with therapy. And there are so many Black women, especially that, and just Black people in general, that feel like therapy is a thing to be ashamed of. So I want to talk a little bit about how therapy has benefited you. I know it for me personally, it certainly has got me through some really, really tough times. And I'm a, a strong proponent for therapy. But for you personally, I'd like to know, you know, what does that look like for you? Yeah. Therapy for me is 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 an opportunity to be selfish. Mm-hmm. That's what I look at it as, right? Like I get to spend an hour, two times a month, talking about nobody but me. And I love it. I absolutely mm-hmm. love it because oftentimes like we're told, stop talking about yourself. You're not supposed to do that. Worry about other people. Ask other people how they feel about it. I don't want to do that. Right. Don't fight your mama. Don't fight me. I don't <laughs> care if you don't agree with me, right? Like, I don't want to do that. I want to talk about me right now. Um, and so therapy for me has been cathartic in that, yes, I get to talk about myself, but I also get the skilled and professional information and, and skill sets on how to reframe my way of thinking. Mm. I am an anxious thinker just in general. Part of that is my need for control, right? Like I've always been a high, highly perfectionist type of person, right? Like, so she, my therapist has given me the skill sets to reframe and think and have paradigm shifts about how I think about certain situations, right? So yeah, you it's presenting to you this way, Deandra, but mm-hmm. if you looked at it from this angle instead, right? And so there have been instances that I have noticed mo- very recently where something has happened that had it been last year would have triggered me and I would have been boo-hooing on the floor, can't function for the rest of the day. Now I'm able to recognize and say, all right, like, I see you, God, or okay, that's just a sign from the universe that, you know, I'm on the right path or this is that, right? I've been able to reframe certain things and think about them differently. So that's been huge for me. Yeah. Um, but the other part of therapy is that it has unlocked stuff I didn't even know I was suffering from from my childhood. Mm. Like, I, I didn't, I did not know what I didn't know or, or why I'm so, such a high perfectionist, right? Like, I didn't know these things. Um, and so it's been able to take some of the pressure off of me and say, DeAndre, this is not your fault. This is mm. happening because these situations in your childhood happened to you or happened or were decided for you, right? And so now you are the result of all of these things that's happened. And wow. it's okay. We can fix it, right? Like we can give you a new way to move moving forward. Um, and so I'm a huge proponent of therapy also. I'm a huge proponent of healing yourself, 
Um, I think that it has become more prevalent in the black community as of as of late. I think a lot more people are, um, you know, we have black girl therapy, we have uh, the nap ministry, we have so many important um, movements, right, that are happening right now, or that are making it okay for black women and black people in general to seek additional help and not have the stigma of you being a crazy person, right? Because you need to go to therapy, right? To go to therapy. At this point, I don't need to go to therapy. I want to be in therapy, right? There's a difference. And I'm mm-hmm. like, what's happening? This is two, two times a month that I can sit down and it feels like home now with my therapist, right? Like she told me before, she was like, I probably shouldn't say this, but she was like, I really look forward to talking to you. She was like, I feel like you're my girlfriend sitting in the in, in my living room with me, you know? And, she, and I was like, I get it, right? Yes. And so it's been a beautiful thing for me. That's so important. All of the things you mentioned, especially addressing that inner child. A lot of folks don't realize the origins of their trauma. Mm-hmm. So I hope that, you know, by folks listening to this, you are encouraged because there are a lot of people in 2024 who still feel like therapy is something to be ashamed of or is taboo, you know. There, there are. Now, I, in closing, I kind of want to know, like, what has life looked like for you after this opt out journey? How have things been? You know, what does it look like? you actively choosing now to opt out, not just for the purposes of this podcast, but for real, in real life for you. Well, it started in real life first, right? So so once I kind of got therapy going and underneath my belt, and I really sat down and started to think about, again, my, my passions, my purpose, what I wanted to do moving forward, I didn't have all the answers, but I knew certain things, right? So I took a sabbatical. I was blessed enough to be able to do that. I left my business, you know, again, award-winning business, done all the things. I loved what I did, what I was doing. I loved it all. But last year when this, this traumatic, I could not even focus on sales, right? Like it was so consuming that my business suffered because of it. Everything in my life suffered because of this traumatic incident that happened. Um, and so I was like, all right, D, it's time to walk away. Like, you've got to take a break. Mm -hmm. Um, during some of my better moments last year, I started gardening, right? It was like an outlet for me. I started redoing my front yard. Um, so I'm like digging up dirt and I am not an earth girl like that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, but I was digging up the dirt and, and all of these things. And so I was going to a local nursery to find the plants and the stones and all of the things that I was doing. And I found that I really loved being at this nursery. Hmm. So when I went on sabbatical, I was like, I'm going to get a job at the nursery. And I was like, and it's going to be glorious. right? <laughs> I'm going to walk amongst the plants and the flowers and I'm going to help water them. And I'm going to be in nature. And who's mad buying house plants? Right. right? <laughs> the bullshit of people in corporate America. Like, who's mad buying a house plant? So that's exactly what I did. That was the first part of my opt out. Wow. I opted out of working with my clients and my business. I didn't leave them in the lurches. I closed everything out very professionally. Right. And I got a job at the, at the local nursery and I would work there part time and I would I'd be a cashier some days. Other days I'm, you know, watering the plants or 
whatever it is that they needed me to do, I did it and I did it with with a semblance of joy, right? Mm -hmm. Like it was easy work. It was work that I didn't have to think about or take home. That was very important for me to kind of get my mind in order where I didn't need to think about all of the things um, in terms of work. Mm -hmm. um, and I was only there for six weeks. Right. It didn't, it wasn't forever. You know, I, I know I'm well-educated. I got, you heard my bio, right? Like I'm not going to stay at the nursery, yeah. forever. but if I wanted to, it'd be okay. Right. And then the second part was something kept telling me to move. Hmm. Like sell, sell your house and move out of state. And I was like, you're bugging. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not doing that. Do you know how hard I worked to get this house? You know, I am single mom. I was on welfare. I was able to give me and my son a stable home, buy my first home by myself, no man's help, no help from my parents, like by myself. And I was like, you are bugging if you think I'm selling this place. And I had designed it into my, like my own, like I loved my house. Mm -hmm. Something kept telling me, sell your house and move and move out of state. And so I obeyed. And when I tell you that I put my house on the market on a Thursday, it was sold by Sunday. Wow. Three days. Don't, like offer and multiple offers, multiple over asking offers on my house. Mm -hmm. So I got to pick and choose, right? Who I decided to, to give to, to, to sell my home to. Wow. Um, and so, and then that process moved very quickly. And I'm giving you guys the backstory to this opt-out because I think it's important to share this testimony with you all. Um, and so it was between LA or moving back home to New York, right? And so I knew more people in, in New York and I was like, let me just go back home. It'll be good, whatever. So I decided to move, not directly in New York, but I wanted to be close. So I moved across the, the river in New Jersey. Um, and just, just follow the story, guys. I, I need you to follow the story. Yeah. Once I made, so I made the decision to sell my house. It sold in three days. Boom. Okay, great. Now we're under contract going through all of the back stuff to close. Then I decided to move to New Jersey and I wanted to find a place. And I said, if I'm going to do it, Damn it, this was a hard year. I'm going to do it big. I wanted a view of the Manhattan skyline. I wanted a separate office space because I knew eventually I was going to be back working and doing my entrepreneurial stuff and running my business and all of that. Um, and I wanted it to be fairly close to access to Manhattan because I'm trying to live now, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to do it up, do it big. And so I'm looking online and I'm finding all of these places and they're like super, super like crazy expensive. And I'm like, I'm not trying to spend that much. Yes, you know, I'm making money off of the sale of the house. Yes, I have reserves for my business, you know, but I'm not trying to do all of that. And so I found this one place that was in a little town that I did not expect. But when I looked at the floor plan, it was two levels, right? Floor to ceiling windows. I mean, 16 foot ceilings, a view of the Manhattan skyline. And I kept saying, I need an outdoor space for my dog so he can run around. And the rooftop deck that I have is bigger than my backyard at my old house. That wow. I 
right? That's all the boxes. My God. So I see, I'm like, oh my God, I have to have this, right? I call the place on a Wednesday, no, on a Monday. And they're like, well, it's not available to look at until Saturday. I was like, I can be there Wednesday at 9 a.m. I need to see this place before it goes on the market because this is my home. And they finally agreed to let me see it before it was ready. And every little detail fell in place without me trying. I saw the place. I applied. My application was approved immediately. My security deposit was the lowest security deposit that you could. I was like, I'm not going to qualify for this place. I don't know why I was saying that. I was like, I'm not going to qualify for this place. Like, it's not. And everything came through. Right. And I had a place within less than a week of me looking. I had a place to move to. Right. So home sold in three days, a place in less than a week of me looking like signed, sealed, delivered. And then there was one more obstacle. I needed some of the money from the sale of the house in order to fully, this is a huge move, right? Like I'm moving a whole three-story home, three bedrooms, three bathrooms, right? Like a whole house into a different state. This is an interstate move, right? So this was expensive. And every quote that I was getting was like $10,000, the next one was $8,000 to do this move. And I was like, y'all are bugging. I'm not paying that type of money. And like, these are the conversations that now I have with God. God, they're tripping. I'm not paying that type of money, right? Mm-hmm. So the third, the third estimate that I got was for $3,000. And I was like, done. I'm in. But I still needed like some of the money to pay the deposit. Well, guess who hadn't filed her taxes from the year before? And my tax attorney was like, DeAndre, we need to file your taxes. And I was like, okay. She's like, the deadline's coming up. I'm like, okay, fine. Let's do it. And at first I was going to have to owe like a crazy amount of money. But then she came back and she said, I I made some, you know, I looked at some things and I put this in wrong. And she was like, now you're getting a refund. And I said, oh, how much? $3,000. What? <laughs> wow, God is amazing. I said, "All right, God, I see you. I see you." So now my move is taken care of prior to, you know, me closing and getting the money from the close. And so I say all of that, that backstory to tell you how things have been since I decided to opt out, since I decided to give up control, since I decided to go on this sabbatical, and I and I've been obedient in what has been downloaded into my spirit. Um, things have been coming with ease, more flow now. Um, my, my nervous system, I have actively been working on regulating my nervous system. It has completely mellowed out. You know, I will say some days are still, you know, some days I wake up with anxiety and, but then I have the tools to bring myself back down. Um, actively been working on um, somatic yoga, like so learning my body. Mm -hmm. And things on this side of my opt-out are beautiful. I I am grateful for what, mm, let me phrase this properly. I am grateful for the opportunity to take what I have been through and turn it into something that is positive and that can help other people while helping myself. Mm-hmm. I had to go back to the day before this traumatic event happened 
right? I don't know that I can say I would go through it again because it doesn't just involve me, right? There's there's someone else involved in it. And so for, for their suffering, I don't think that I would say, yeah, let's do this all over again. Um, but I have been able to find my daily moments of joy. You know, you're a big part of it. Being close to home, being able to hang out with my friends, being able to, um, you know, I'm still in this sabbatical. I am coming out of it now and I am working on more programming for Black women, high, high achieving Black women, right, to be able to help them with their opt-out journey or what it what it is that they want to do, right? Like enacting healthy boundaries. And so I am so grateful I have found more of my purpose and more of my passion. Um, and so this side of my personal opt-out, I will say is a beautiful thing to behold. I am a better person for it. I am more understanding. I am I think I was probably one of the least judgmental people that you can run into before, right? But life lives <laughs> and you never know what somebody is going through. And to, to have the privilege to judge somebody, like it just, that just doesn't make sense to me, right? No. Like, like over your privilege, right? Like, because ine inevitably life is gonna catch up to you also. Yeah. And something's going to happen to bring you to your knees. And, and, and I pray that you're able to overcome it, right? But I, on this side of it, I like, I can't, who am I to judge, right? Like, I, I just can't. And so um, I'm grateful for this journey. I am grateful for this little podcast that could. <laughs> um, I am grateful for the opportunity to pour into whomever is listening to this podcast. Um, and for the opportunity to continue this this work, um, you know, my my hope and my prayer is that more Black women just feel empowered to opt out and say no, and enact healthy boundaries into their life, so they either can get up off of the floor or never find themselves there. Mm. Well, that's a beautiful place to wrap things up. Although I am tempted to ask you because we're all excited for season two. So <laughs> kind of, real quick, if you could just let us know what to expect and sort of the offshoots of the Black Women Opt Out podcast. Yeah, so season two, I do have um, a few guests lined up currently um, waiting to be interviewed. Um, I really want to dive deeper into the processes, right? So it's great hearing other people's stories, but if you don't have the tools to healthily, right, do this type of work, um, then it's for naught. So I really want to dive into more of the processes of how to opt out, um, how to find your moments of joy, things of that nature. Um, so season two is definitely coming this year. Um, what's on the horizon for me? So I will be writing a book um, based and talking about Black women's mental health and talking more about the traumatic event that I experienced um, and how it, it truly impacted my life, even, even deeper than what I've kind of shared 
here, right? This is a, an hour long podcast. Like you can't tell all the things in an hour long podcast. I'd be here for days. Um, so, but, but, but within that book, it's not just me. Again, I always want to take my people with me, right? I want to tell, help tell the stories of other women who have suffered from mental health and depression, other black women, right? But, but have hidden behind the mask of fulfillment. Um, and so that's very important to me. And then the work that I'm going to be doing moving forward really does center around um, group work with Black women, high, again, high achieving, very professional, like these are, we are the women who are suffering the most right now um, in terms of how to cultivate their own personal opt-out journey, right? I have a program coming, <laughs> very own brand for me, calling the Fancy FU. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Um, but it is really talking and, and teaching how to enact these boundaries, how to help those who are uh, around you prepare for these new boundaries that are coming up. Um, how to um, how to decide, right? The first step is deciding how to decide what you really want for your life, and so that program will be coming up soon. Um, and then I really want to get in person with my people. So some sort of an in-person retreat is coming. Um, I'm not sure when, you know, there's a lot of things coming out of this sabbatical. I've had time to to think and to write things down. So I have a whole bevy of, of options, um, but I want to make sure that it's impactful. That's the most important thing for me, that it's impactful and that it's going to change the lives of the women that I'm working with. So if that's only 20 women, then fine. If that's 2000 women, then perfect, right? Like, however that works out is how it works out. But that is my mission in life. Indeed. Well, Deandra Coleman, I'm so proud of you. Congratulations on a wildly successful season one of the Black Women Opt Out. And I'm just so proud of you. And I'm so excited to see what happens next in this space and how many lives you will continue to touch because my life you definitely have touched so thank you for your work oh thank you kiana i appreciate you taking the time to do this um it's been cathartic um i probably would not have done this with anybody else but you just oh. to let you know so thank you for your support um and thank you all who listened this season this was a very vulnerable thing to do and to 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 jump into this world of podcasting and for every single person um who tuned in who wrote a review who rated the podcast i am just so appreciative from the bottom of my heart and i promise that i will continue to do the work for you all right until next season bye bye <laughs>